Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. So tell me this, Ahmed, tell me this. Yeah. Did they make you come back? Did they make you? Did they say, look, you got to do this. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know how you enjoyed last time or not, or if you enjoyed last time, yeah. but we are making you come back on Friday. Yeah, they go, we don't know how you handled that. We don't know if you liked it. You know, I told you last time I'm locked kind of in a closet here at NBC. Good little studio. Sounds good. Looks good. Small little closet, no windows. Uh, no, Michael, they didn't ask. They go, Ahmed, you're on. Friday, get in, get in the building and talk. And I right. go, what am I doing? And they go, brother from another again. I go, okay, good. Thank goodness. There it is. And listen, I'm glad they told you and didn't ask, gave you no options, put you in that closet. <laughs> let's, talk some, let's talk some things today. Let's talk some things, some Friday let's things. And I'll say, I'm at the first one. First thing, you can help me out with this because yesterday I pretty much, you know, I love the, uh, I love the Dodgers. They're my... They're my NL team. Cool. I, I pretty much wrote off the Dodgers, and I broke down how the Dodgers down 1-3, looking at it from their perspective, down 1-3, had no chance of winning. And then, well, let's just look at the headlines here. Let's look at the headlines. Uh, then this little thing happened uh, with, with Chris Taylor. Um, three home runs. Uh, and the game was not close. No. The... The Braves had Max Freed on the mound. Max Freed has been getting it done in the postseason. Been really getting it done since the All-Star break. Some incredible numbers. But it didn't matter. Atlanta went up early. They were up two zip early. And then, oh, I don't know, the Dodgers scored 11 straight runs. <laughs> so they yeah. went yeah, you say eleven to two. You say that and, you, that you're you, you know you say that you didn't have any faith, but you look at Dodger fans on Twitter and everywhere else. They, I mean, like they didn't have any faith. This is how manic we become in the postseason. We pretty much rely on what happened the last game. We feel like there's a good chance that it's going to continue into the next game and the rest of the series. Um, but the Dodgers proving once again that you know sometimes the team with the most talent, almost the most wins in the season, still has something left to say, even when their backs up are against the wall. Uh, yeah, that was that was fun to watch, and I, I do. I mean, like I do think the Dodgers are the better team, but in baseball, the better team doesn't always win, and he's got they got to win three games in a row now. All right, well, let's listen to uh, Chris Taylor post game, and then uh, I want to come back and and tell you some things. I want yeah. I want I want you to help me out, help me okay. untangle some things in this okay. series. Anytime you do something cool, um, when you do it in Dodger Stadium, it makes it that much sweeter. And, um, you know, I think uh, this is a special place, and these fans are awesome. And uh, for it to happen um, for the first time on this stage in front of these, this crowd was, um, was a special moment. And then second, were you just up there hunting pitches? I'm sorry? Were you just up there hunting pitches? Like yesterday you popped up at the first, you know, first pitch, but you in aggressive first at bat hunting. Were you hunting pitches there? Uh, I was really, I wasn't thinking too much, you know. I, I'm in a pretty good spot right now, and uh, when you're feeling good, I think it's more just, um, you know, just see the ball hit the ball. 
That, dude, that, hey, <laughs> look, man. It, this dude. That guy see, just hit. That guy just hit three home LA. runs. He just hit three home runs in an elimination <laughs> game in front of fifty thousand fans at Dodger Stadium. Like that man just did that and then talked like that right afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, <laughs> you know. Now, if I didn't know better, and I didn't say like you can't, can't really say, hey, people from L.A. are like this. Yeah. But in my mind's eye of just like the California cool, just like. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think he's from Virginia Beach. He's from Virginia Beach, which probably has a very similar... I've actually lived there. It has a very similar vibe at times. I was looking him up. I was looking him up. I heard him talk. I said, okay, where's this dude from? Because he was just like, oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of cool. Yeah, you hit three home runs. Cool. You hit three home runs in a... a, Every game is an elimination game Mm -hmm. for the Dodgers. Now... The reason I still think they're in trouble, though, seriously, I know they went down 1-3 again last year and beat the Braves, but I just, as as much as, as much fun as I have with Atlanta sports, talking about all of their missteps, Ahmed, I just don't believe that you can just treat somebody as a doormat year after year, and they just go be the doormat. They're going to be the willing doormat. I, be, I, I take you, I go down to you, uh, if I'm down 1-3 last year and I come back and beat you, and I'm 1-3 again this year, I just don't think that's going to happen again. Yeah. Am I wrong on that? Like, I mean, it's... At it's, some point, the Braves are going to be like, we learn from this. Yeah. We're it's, better than this. It's un... Well, like, you wouldn't bet on it, right? <laughs> you wouldn't bet on it, but you wouldn't <laughs> have bet on the Atlanta Falcons blowing that lead in the Super Bowl. Uh, like, if you made me pick right now, I would take I would take the Dodgers yes, because exactly like exactly the reason that we just what, the guy that we just heard from right there, Chris Taylor, which is like some of the beauty and some of the harm of the game of baseball is that it's not always the superstar, which is cool. It's a guy like Chris Taylor who talks like that after the game. Not going to get a whole lot of people excited about um, learning about Chris Taylor, uh, but that's the beauty of baseball. It can be any guy up and down the lineup, and I think that the Dodgers have more of those guys up and down the lineup. We could see, like, someone we're not even talking about. They've had injuries. they got guys out of the lineup. It could be someone we're not talking about. I think that the Dodgers have more of those guys, although we've seen it with the Braves, Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, players like that. So, I mean, it's baseball. It's a coin flip. If you're going to make me pick, Michael, I'm going to still pick the, uh, the Dodgers to come back and do it just like they did last year. And they do have more of those guys. Like, clearly, you said uh, off the top, they almost had the most wins of baseball by by one win. Yeah. By one win. They, they have 106. The Giants had 107. Your Giants yep. had 107. Is that what you were working? Were you doing the pre and post for the Giants? Pre and post for the Giants, in, yep. In your other life? Yep, hated rivalry. So, speaking well of, of the Dodgers right there, this doesn't air in uh, the Bay Area, right? They can't pull this up in oh, San does. Francisco or San Jose. All right. Well, if that's the case, like, honestly, the Braves are going to win the series. The Dodgers have no chance, and I hate them to a core. So that's just for our Bay Area audience right there. I bet you do. But <laughs> I can understand why the Giants would hate them yes. uh, after ending their season on a check swing, on a disputed yes. check swing. But, look, they got all those guys. They got their t- they're the more talented team, clearly. And they've been the more talented team for, like, a long stretch. Yes. And I, I said at the, um, at, at the beginning of the month that really – that the Dodgers are the team of the decade. 
uh, <clears throat> in, in Major League Baseball just because of what they've done and all those division titles in a row and appearing in the World Series. If they're able to win back-to-back World Series, and that hasn't happened since the Yankees did it, and you, you combine that with all the other things that we talked about and the, the depth of their roster, I'd have to say that they're the best team uh, of the decade, but of the century. Figure out the decade of the century, de- best team of the century. But that being said, I just don't, I don't think they have, I, I think it's really difficult to beat this Atlanta team three games in a row, yeah. three games in a row to win it. I know they got their pitching set up. And, 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 that, and that, that whole thing, and that, you know, I got a whole rant about bullpen games. They won a bullpen game last night. I hate it, Ahmed. I hate it. I'm with I hate you. this trend in baseball. I'm, I'm with you. Where, I'm with you. You know, guys, guys, don't, guys just don't throw five innings or six innings. Or they yeah. throw five innings, Ahmed, and they tell you, I did my job. No, you didn't. Yeah. You're a starting pitcher, and you got to be five innings. Yeah, it's, in a playoff yeah, game? it's harder to and argue so with. It's harder I'm, I'm to argue with. To give, yeah. yeah, no, I get it. But when you can bring out that many guys out of the bullpen throwing 98, 99 with that kind of movement, it makes the argument harder to keep that guy in there. But I'm, I'm with you, Michael. I, like, I think this trend in baseball has hurt, has hurt the game overall because it's all about building stars and making stars. And baseball already has a disadvantage with building stars because Mike Trout bats as much as the number nine hitter. Um, in a baseball game. But the one guy that baseball had that would play a significant chunk of the game was the starting pitcher. That was the guy. That was a star of that game. And so I'm with you, Michael. I think that that has hurt baseball overall. It might be the correct strategy. It might actually help your team win. But as far as like an entertainment product, a product you can get behind, create stars, I'm with, I'm with you. I, I don't like it. Well, tell that to the Tampa Bay Rays who lost the World Series last year by just overthinking it and taking a guy out of the game that he was leading. And he, not only was he leading it, he was dominating it. Uh, but l- let me ask you this, because yeah. you had something in your feed that uh, I'm intrigued by. Yes. Not to say there are items that, that bore me. I'm not trying to say, I, no, re- let me restart. Let there me restart. Could there could be. They're not all going to be hits. There's They're not all going to be hits. Well, let's, let's assume they all are. We, we don't know that yet. I think right now, Everything's a hit until we start talking about it. We go, ah, uh, that didn't really that didn't really turn out the way we thought it would. But one that does uh, stand out to me, you say, robo umps. Yeah. What's up he, with robo umps? Is it some of these bad calls you've seen in games that just yeah. make you think, okay. We need a robo ump. So this has been a topic of conversation in the in the baseball playoffs, and to a to a bigger level, it's kind of been through all sports. You know, replay review, the use of technology, can that help and in, in officiate the game? And it's really hit the baseball postseason here. Um, and there's been increased chatter on on robo umps, the using of like an automated strike zone. Um, and so Laz Diaz popped up in this game with uh, the Houston Astros beating the Boston Red Sox. You remember this. There's a lot of articles <laughs> written about it. There was a, yeah. a, a strike yeah. that wasn't in the ninth inning when the game was 2-2. Two to two. Would have been strike three. Uh, was called a ball. What happened after that was seven runs. You see it's pitch number two right there. They called that a ball. And, and that is a borderline pitch. Let's be honest about it. Um, but it is touching the strike zone. Right. So the at-bat continued. With a one-two strike and two outs, inning would have been over. It ends up being a nine-to-two ball game. Big story is that people have finally gotten to the point, I think, in mass, where it's like these umpires calling the games, and, and maybe it's just a select few of them, but enough of them 
are affecting the outcome of the game enough to where, for the integrity of baseball and of this sport and the final result, we need to have a robot call balls and strikes. Now, the technology is not quite there yet. Um, they've tried it in the Arizona Fall yeah. League, and there were like 22 walks because it's, you know, it, it shrinks the strike zone to what it actually is in real life. And, and the technology misses a few calls, just like human umpires. Um, but what do you think? Do you think we're right. eventually going to, you know, it's like the beauty of baseball, the human element. But when we can all see on our phones instantly, it's like, oh, he missed that call. Oh, he missed that call, too. Does it change the dynamics, and do we eventually have to welcome our robot overlords into baseball? Uh, it's an, I love the topic. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm. I, or, or I'll say I don't want it to happen. Can it, now, tr- trust me, I watched the entire game, being li- living here in Boston, watched the entire Red Sox-Astros game, that game in question, game four. And let me tell you, um, 88% is pretty good. <laughs> okay, yeah. nobody, nobody in Boston is saying that. The, the bottom line is what, what I take away from this whole conversation is that a human being who is blocked, who has his view blocked by a catcher is able to get 88% right yeah. in real time. Yeah. That's pretty and, and And he's not, and people were mad at him. People were mad at this guy. And a couple of times, see what the, what the robo ump won't do, and catchers, you have to be careful what you ask for here. What a robo ump won't do is allow a catcher to frame a pitch, right? Because you see that a lot of times. The best catchers, that ball's a little bit outside, and, and like all of them, the best ones, they do it really well. Whew. It just happens in a flash. And then like, ooh, I didn't think that was a strike. How's that a strike? Oh, it's, it wasn't. He just got his mitt in the right position. Yeah. And the umpire. Which is a cool part of the game. Back, kind of a cool part just, of the game. That's a cool part. That's a cool part of the game. And also, look, I'm superficial in a lot of ways. You mean to tell me, is a robo-ump go, go ring them up, go do that whole thing? I want the performance. Yes. Where's your performance? Can you do that? Do we have the AI available to have the, the peace and love robo-ump, the a-hole robo-ump? <laughs> hey, don't talk. Can you go chest to chest with yeah, a robot? That would, no. Like old school Earl Weaver? <laughs> yeah. Belly to belly? Yeah. And, Knock it down. And yeah. is a robo-ump going to throw you out? Right. Is he going to throw you out for arguing balls and strikes? Like, you're joking about that, but think of Bobby Cox in back in the day and the, and the, Earl, and the Earl Weavers like you bring right. up. Like, think of that. Earl what Weaver. a cool oh moment that was that is basically just yeah. gone in baseball because all you really do now is you just go like this. You go, hold on, let me look. My coaches are looking at the video. All right, we're going to review that. You know, where it's just like that moment yeah. of we'll never have a Bobby Cox again. We'll never have a guy rushing out of the dugout every three or four games getting face-to-face, nose-to-nose. with an, I mean, it rarely happens. It does happen sometimes, but oftentimes you just review it. So, like, that, that I think is something that's not talked about enough. Even in the NFL and some of these, like, what are the unintended consequences? We're elongating the game. NBA replay at the end of games. It's like you kind of take the flow out of the game. Every close play, you know, all right, here's another two-minute break while we go check the monitors. So, like, I'm sensitive to that, too. But I will tell you, Michael, one group of people who I, I feel like probably about 90% I've heard from some of them are four robo-umps are the umpires and they are. themselves. They're the umpires themselves because they think it's untenable that people at home have on their phones basically the answers to the test that they're trying to do in real time. 
they say it's mentally strenuous, getting berated from both sides on your strike zone. Uh, you're getting beat up behind the plate like a catcher. Like, uh, umpires honestly would let it go uh, if the technology was there to a point that it would make it easier for them. Because why not? I mean, they don't want to have a test in front of 5 million people where everyone else has the answers and they don't. So wait a minute. Now, let's just, let me, let's just be clear. Robo-umps being, because there are two ways of looking at it. Yes. Now, if you say you're going to make balls and strikes a part of the replay process, all right. But but having a, a, a robo-ump the entire time, like when you go on the uh, you go on the turnpike now, you know, if you go to the Jersey Turnpike or New York, there are a lot of times you say, hey, you got the easy passes going through, yeah. and it used to be somebody there taking your money, and, and now it's a hybrid now. But are you telling me that the hybrid is gone and there's just a robot? Uh, Behind the plate. Yeah, who knows how it would happen if For you the had these game. augmented glasses on that <laughs> nah, gave you the man. strike zone. <laughs> if you had, they've done it where they've had a wristwatch that'll buzz when it's a strike. There's a little bit of a delay there. Like none of that, oh. none of that is perfect. I get it. No. I'm, I'm with you though. I think no, that I, the the Hawkeye kind of like tennis does it review system where you get maybe you know five of those a game where instantly you can look up on the big screen in the stadium and see if it was a strike or not. Like that adds a little bit of drama. Um, so I would be, I'd be intrigued by something like that. I think that's a good, a good call on your part. Now, you know what? And that, that now, now that I like, I like complaining about umps too. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you who, who doesn't like it. People do it like hot, hot takers and, and talk show hosts like us. We don't like that. Now we're, we're going to argue about an, uh, a robot. No, I want to, I want to argue about these calls and I, I like the human element. I like you know, I like to see sometimes, and it's, it's, it's a, a nerdy thing, but so what? I, I really love it when early in the game, you'll have a guy who has a strike called on him. He'll turn around and he'll ask the umpire, okay, that's a little high. You're going to call that the rest of the game. Is that, is that your strike zone? Yeah. Umpire's like, cool. All right, good. And just like in all sports, everything, and, and you know this from, you know, being up close to this stuff, when you're, when you're up close to it, you can kind <clears> of <throat> see a dialogue, hear a com- or hear a conversation that doesn't really, you're not privy to on TV. Like in the NBA, where guys are getting fouled early in the game, the referee will be like, look, LeBron, now you're holding them. I'm not going to call that right now, but if you do that again, next time down, that's foul. Now, yeah. not, never mind, that's a bad example. LeBron never gets called for fouls. All right, <laughs> <laughs> no, let me pick somebody it, else. Let me pick somebody else. Hey, Draymond, Draymond. Hey, now, listen, you're using, you're using your forearm there. It's got to be upper back, though. If you do it a little lower, I'm going to call it. And then the, 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 the back and forth and the conversation. We need that. We need it. I think we need the robots for replay. I will take replay. I'm going to give you three challenges per game. You can use yes. them at any time. I'm not going to say later innings because you might see something in the fifth that could totally change the game, and you want to use it there. Yes. Three replays, balls and strikes uh, replays, and that's it. I, th- I think that, and like, if we, if we could shake hands right now, I think that's the perfect compromise because it adds strategy, it adds moments, it adds intrigue, but no. it doesn't take away a, bump. A, big, a big part of the game. You mentioned, um, so we talked about Chris Taylor here. Don't leave me hanging. With his, oh, hold on. Don't oh leave me gosh, hanging. The other way. I've been doing TV for this long, and I still don't understand. There it is. There we go. Boom. There it is. Do Boom. it. We did it. There it is. That's go it. On. It's good enough. It's good as it's going to get. <laughs> um, hey, you mentioned, uh, you know, we've got the Chris Taylor, three home runs, which, by the way, he's number three. The Dodgers have to get three wins in a row, and that game went three hours, 
33 okay. minutes, Numerology. and then up uh, up the road in uh, in Golden State territory, my old neck of the woods. Steph Curry was bombing threes yesterday. It is the return of the NBA officially. Steph Curry is the man once again, Michael. I like what you did there. That's numerology. But in one, two, three, yeah. we're going to talk about this on the other side. We're going to play Whoa. the music tease. in one, two, three. It's a tease. And then... That's a tease. I like, I like this. You have given us our next topic. That's from That's doing good. the show with you one time before. Now we can tease segments. We can fist bump officially. Nice. There it is. <laughs> this is a, this is growth for me. I usually get that left right thing. I get it wrong. Man. I did multiple times. It's really confusing. I, yeah, I still don't have that down. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Law of averages, keep your confidence. And once you saw the first couple go in, uh, it was just staying aggressive. Same thing I try to do all the time. Uh, I don't know if I've had a perfect start like that before, but it was um, just a good flow from the from the jump. And have fun out there. And even though we've all been here watching it, I'm still blown away. There's never been anybody like him. And um, – not just the shooting range, but the uh, just the competitiveness and the guts and um, just uh, amazing, amazing player. Um, what a game he had. All right, Ahmed. Um, I love this. I love this. And the San Jose Mercury News. I love newspapers still. Shout out to newspapers. Keep going. Long live newspapers. San Jose Mercury News. There's nothing in sports like a Steph Curry flurry. And I think that says it all. I'm sure there are some well-written articles and columns to go along with those three things and that statement. But that statement is enough. And I'm glad to hear Steve Kerr say it. There's not a player like Steph Curry. So usually, usually when that's said, you say that about a guy, you're like, okay, that's the thing that you say. You see a great performance. Somebody has a triple-double. Somebody does a buzzer beater to win the game. It's a great player. Say, hey, we've never seen anything like this before. And a lot of times we have. And if we haven't, we'll see it five years later. But in this case, I'm, I'm just trying to think, Ahmed, in my entire life of watching hoops and following the NBA and studying the NBA, I can't really think of anybody like him. Start, his father wasn't like him. His father was a, a really good shooter, really good, obviously a good three-point shooter, but more of a role player throughout his career, not, a, not an all-star starter. Uh, Reggie Miller, more mm-hmm. of like a pure shooter, not a point guard, and didn't have the range like this. Ray Allen, I, I, I really haven't seen this combination. I don't know who would even come close for you. I haven't seen anybody like this. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And everyone on Twitter there is, is with you, too. I, I can't think because, yeah, there have been great shooters. He might be the greatest. Um, and he can also, like, there are some games where where you see him take the ball to the basket and you think, 
Well, he could do that all game too if he really wanted to. You know, he, he could fill it up. Right. For, he could shoot threes all right. game if he wanted to, or he could take people off the dribble and get to the basket every game if he wanted to. Um, and so I feel like that part of his game is underrated. And it's also the, the joy with which he plays. It's like it's so rare to have a superstar like this that exudes that much joy, is that magnanimous, is willing to share. Like it doesn't seem like the dude has an ego, which is atypical in sports right. from a superstar as well. So it's like this combination of really rare traits, both on and off the court, that, yeah, I don't think we've ever seen anyone like him, and it's very hard to believe that we'll ever see anyone like him again. Yeah, and, that, and that's what it is. Like going to, you mentioned going to the basket. I mean, there are some parts of his game that we don't talk about because it's just so focused on his shooting. Like that game one, he talked about in that clip, the law of averages. He says, all right, you know, hey, you got to start making them. Well, he mentions that because he was 5 for 21 in the first game of the year. But in a game in which he goes 5 for 21, he gives you a, a triple-double. I called it the other day a B-minus triple-double because he was 5 for 21. Still, maybe I should raise that B-minus to a B-plus or an A-minus <laughs> because they were able to come back and win the game. And for the second game in a row, so first game he gets 10 boards. He got 10 more rebounds last night. So how about a 45-10 and 10 game for Steph Curry? He's got 20 rebounds in two games. Yeah. Yeah, I it's just and you know what else stands out about him? What stands out is and it's not just him. It's it's any superstar. We know this. They go away. We forget this. They come back. We're reminded again. The NBA and the impact a superstar can have on your roster. It's not just like a little bump like okay in baseball. Okay, you mentioned Mike Trout earlier. Mike Trout goes to uh, goes to the Orioles, right? If Mike Trout goes to the Orioles, he gives them a little bit of a bump. They're still yeah. the Orioles. They're yeah. probably going to lose 100 games, even with Mike Trout. Probably. Maybe 95. Yeah, I I'll think give the, them 95 yeah. losses. The Angels have lost a lot of games with Mike Trout, yeah. even. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's right. That's right. And imagine, hey, imagine the Angels without Mike Trout. I know they've lost with him. They can lose even more at a greater rate without him. But that's just baseball. But in basketball, Steph Curry comes to this team that missed the playoffs last year. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. We're talking about the Lakers in the West and the Clippers and the Suns. Why haven't we talked about the Warriors? I know Vegas has. But we, on this show, need to talk about the Warriors more often as championship contenders because they are with him. Yeah, they got the pieces. I mean, Clay Thompson's not even back yet, so he'll come back, hopefully full strength, because he's fun to watch as well. What do you think about, so it's like I think about this superstar. I mean, I think you're right. The NBA is unlike any other sport where a superstar, one, two, or three, can totally change uh, the, the future of a franchise. What do you think about, for a long time, I kind of thought, all right, to be a superstar in any sport, you kind of have to have this edge. You can't really be a nice guy. Uh, I think about Barry Bonds and when he was, you know, hitting the home runs in the Bay Area. Not a whole lot of people really liked him, you know, even his teammates. But there's this idea that kind of that's the way you need to be to shut everything else out and to be at the upper echelons of your sport. With Steph Curry, and maybe it's just unique to him, he seems to be able to function better being a magnanimous guy, being a guy that, that doesn't have that ego and it's refreshing to see that because I did assume for a long time, like, you can't be a superstar in any major sport 
without being a little bit of an ass, right? So Steph Curry, in the way that he acts, and maybe he's just unique, and maybe you do need a little bit of an edge, and maybe that manifests into being a little bristly at some of the media or some of your teammates, but it's just refreshing to see that you can be one of the best in the NBA of all time and also have an open, good personality. Okay. All right. Now, okay. Now we're, re- now we're getting into something here. We're getting into something. Yeah. I'm going to ask you. I don't even okay. know what you're going to say on this. Okay. You just, yeah, you just keep it a buck. You just say what you feel. Okay. All right. What do you consider, present company excluded, uh, what do you consider being an ass? <laughs> what, like, what, is that, what, what does that entail? Because like a level the reason of, I ask of, that, of, of, as you, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm saying as you consider your answer, because I put you on the spot, mm-hmm. the reason I ask is I think Steve Kerr said a key word that's competitive. He's talking about the competitiveness of, of Steph Curry. Like you can be, I think you can be a nice guy as long as you're competitive. I think the competitiveness takes you to another level. And competitiveness doesn't necessarily mean nastiness. It's just like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take it to another level that, that people aren't, aren't willing. Most of the average person is not willing to do. I'm going to put in a little bit more extra time. This game matters to me more than it matters to, uh, to my opponent. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to push my teammates to match my level. I don't really think that's being a jerk. Yeah. I think that's being competitive. Yeah. Now, yeah. Barry Bonds was a jerk. Yeah. Now, Barry, okay, <laughs> that, that example, that is, that's a prime example in, in baseball, perhaps all the sports. Now, I heard all the stories about how Barry had to have his own, he had like two clubhouse stalls and he had his own special chair in the clubhouse and all kinds of stuff. Like, that's annoying. Like, okay, yeah. they, you know, wouldn't always talk to people. Yeah, you don't. Is that competitiveness? That's not competitiveness. That's just being high maintenance and jerky. I think that I think that's right? the state. You're absolutely right. You're right because the, I think there were times that I've heard rumors and stories of Barry Bonds not going into a game that he didn't start because he just didn't feel like it that day. And that you're right. That's not competitive. Um, that's the opposite of of competitive. Um, so yeah, I, I, he's like but Steph Curry without right. a doubt is is competitive. Yeah. The 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 the, um, the 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 competitor usually doesn't have that smiling face. Okay. Yes. The competitor, the the intense competitor, is usually not as oh, what's that beautiful word you use? Magnanimous. Magnanimous. Yeah. Magnanimous on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> he's using words like magnanimous. Yeah. Pulling him out and, of the and, air. And it's so melodious. Yes. The way you say, you know. And use it a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Anonymous. Yeah, when I find a word like I like, I, I use hey, it. Brother yeah. from another, brother from another is a show where you can have some fun. You got to have that thesaurus nearby, mm-hmm. a little dictionary, mm-hmm. dictionary.com. Check it out. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But, you know, we're talking about the workplace. I do like that word. I like that. Very good. Um, we're talking about the workplace. Yep. And, and I'm looking at this Ben Simmons situation, and I'm wondering, you know, do you have a story where a, a workplace story, like maybe a lame, your lamest excuse for not coming to work. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about way, way in the past. Yeah. I mean, not here at, at Peacock NBC, but just like <laughs> way back in the day. Is there anything, is there any terrible reason you gave for not wanting to go to work because 
Oh, you maybe just didn't feel like it that day. You didn't like the boss. Yeah. You didn't like the coworkers because Ben Simmons has given us. And look, clearly on this show, we never joke about athletes legitimately saying, hey, I need a day. I need a pause for my mental health. But we know pretty confidently that that's not going on right now with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons and the Sixers are in what I called yesterday the worst chess game in America, maybe even the dumbest <laughs> chess game in America because both participants were just doing stupid stuff. But Ben Simmons, ooh, he just made a good move. He made a chess move because in the NBA's collective bargaining agreement, they can take your money if you don't participate unless there's a mental reason yeah. that you can't come to work. So Ben Simmons and I imagine Clutch Sports and Rich Paul looking at the fine print saying, huh, there it is. Uh, uh, excuse me, Daryl. We're not mentally prepared yeah. to work right now. Uh, please respect our privacy during this difficult time. Yeah, I think and they that. Just yeah, your money. Yes, I, I think that is. To answer your question, no, I've never done that. I've never made up an excuse to get out of work, so we can just put that one to bed right never? away. But never done that. But um, but oh, man. but to talk about the the second point, you're right. This is, I think. The positive is that we've talked about mental health as an athlete. We saw it with the Olympics, Simone Biles, more than we ever have in the past. And I think that's a good thing. I think what still needs some negotiating here and some, you know, some discussion is that are, are athletes better served? And, and, and I don't know, in, in Ben using this as an excuse, is he not? You know, so for some parts of this discussion, that's irrelevant. Because I think that there's this other idea to, the, to mental health. What we've learned is that is the best way to deal with the situation by removing yourself some the, from the situation. I know there are plenty of times with, with me personally and going to work, there's a show that I'm doing, not this show, but a show that I'm doing that I might not be that comfortable with, I might be nervous about, and I honestly might not want to do it just because it feels like you're walking into a landmine situation that you don't know how it's going to go. I do it. I go through that show, and I feel more confident because of it. So I, I do think as we, as we kind of talk about the mental health of athletes in, in various sports, um, that's got to be part of the discussion too because I do think that you're not always getting the best advice if the advice is only like take remove yourself from the situation because what's the long-term plan? Eventually, you've got to put yourself back in that situation and are you more prepared to do that right. if you've been away for a month or two months or are you better prepared to do that if you go, all right, I'm just going to do it. I don't feel 100%, but I'm going back out here and I'm going to give it my best. Now, before I tell you about my, my excuse, my kind of, it could be interpreted as lame excuse for not going to work. Before I do that, uh, I want to hear, uh, Gary, I want to hear uh, Jason Kelsey talking about Ben Simmons and Philly fans. And I, I got a thought about Jason Kelsey, and I'll tell you about my, uh, my, my lame work reason or non-work reason. Here's Jason Kelsey. What's going on with the 76ers, Ben Simmons, stuff like that? All that is because of a lack of accountability, a lack of owning up to mistakes, and a lack of correcting things. If all that got corrected, if you're fixing free throws, if you're getting better as a player, none of this is happening. So you can, everybody can, can complain about you know how tough this city is to play in. Just play better, man. The city will love you. Huh. All right, just play better. I love Jason Kelsey. Like Jason Kelsey, okay, just play better, and they'll love you. I think, I think part of that is true. I think part of it is true. 
and like tough, so-called tough cities, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, they're all first cousins. They're all first, second cousins, family <laughs> reunion, Boston, Philly, New York, just a little hard edge to them. But you know what will happen? Not only do, do these cities, I can just, I, I can tell you, I'm a witness in Boston, not only does there's a city like Philly and Boston, New York, not only do they love their superstars, they love their like bench guys who kind of busted, like role players. Role players can do really well in those types of cities because people really identify with them. They identify with the hustle and the grind. And so I think that part is right. Jason Kelsey, just in general, talking about uh, athletes in those cities and how fans can connect with them. But I think this is over. (laughs) This is done. There's no coming back for Ben Simmons. That is, it is a scorched earth program. Between Ben Simmons and Philly, they don't want him back. He doesn't want them. Not going to work. And who does I don't this, know if you agree and, with that. And, and to my, and I to think my, it's over. Yeah, and, and who does this serve, right? If he's getting the advice from his, his, um, his representation that this is the best path forward, does, is that serving, is like any of this serving anyone right now? This is certainly not serving the 76ers. I mean, may, they may have their hands tied here. Um, they could cut their losses and make a trade, and that's what that side wants them to do. But is Ben Simmons being served by any of this stuff going on right now? It's hard to say that he is. No, well, no, no. But, they, but, but Philly isn't either. The yeah. Sixers aren't either. I'll, I'll tell you this quick story. I'll tell you this quick story, yeah. and, then, and then we're going to go to break. Out right. yourself. So is this me trying to, is it me trying to get out of work? Not necessarily, but I almost had to bail out of work because of my car. Okay. So when I was an intern at the Akron Beacon Journal uh, back in the day, you know, the car, I bought a car for $200 straight up. I'm not even lying. <laughs> I bought a 1979 yeah. Honda Civic for $200. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little, it was white, looked like a little uh, eggshell, like a little egg. And I used to push that thing. It was a, uh, I think it was a stick. I used to push that car around, loved it. And you go, why am I having I problems with it? Like, why am I having problems with this car? Like, what's going on with this? I bought it for I didn't think I had any problems with it. I, I just need to go from assignment to assignment. All over Northeast Ohio, I'm good. Everything was fine. I didn't know that anything was wrong with the car until I was on my way to an assignment. I had to cover minor league baseball in Canton, about 20 minutes outside of Akron. And as I'm driving there, it starts to rain. No problem. Put on the windshield wipers. They don't work. <laughs> the wipers don't work. <laughs> so I'm just trying to think, can, can I wait out the rain? I don't know how long. I got to get there. I got to get to, maybe the game is rained out, but I need to write, even if it's rained out, I need to write something. Do I pull over and just call somebody and say, come get me because yeah. I'm in the rain and I don't have a car with windshield wipers? You know what I did? And this is, I wouldn't advise this. This is not smart. I did that. I just did this in the name of doing my job, Ahmed. I saw a truck. I followed this truck. I just stayed behind the truck to block. It was going to block the rain a little bit. So I just tried to kind of peek between the raindrops and the windshield. And I was hopeful that the truck would take me as close to the exit of Thurman Munson Stadium as possible, and it did. Thank God. So I didn't have to call off work, but I thought I was because yeah. my car didn't have windshield wipers. You, ri- you risked like your life. Lie, 
You risked your life for your job in a $200 car. Can you imagine calling an editor yeah. and saying, I can't go to work because yeah. my windshield wipers don't work? Yeah, and at that level, they go, anyway. hey, they go, I don't care if you die. We've got to cover this minor league baseball game. Okay. Yes, we've got to cover the game. You got somebody to cover the game for us? Can you yeah. run in the rain? Yeah. You've can had you a, sing? Yeah. You can be a fool in the rain, but you better get to that stadium. Yep. You've had a good run up to this listen, point. If it ends right now, so be it. Just get to that game. Oh, that's right. I think we should talk to Ashley Nicole Moss next. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. That was an amazing game. You know, from both teams, um, and guys fought, man, from 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 beginning to end. So it was fun. The, the fans are, they were unbelievable, man. Energy in this building is second to none. Um, it was it was unreal. But really, just playing for the home team. Like I'm really a kid, you know, from the Bronx, born and raised in this city, um, and to put that jersey on for the for the first time for the for the for the real regular season. And, and being announced, man, it was it was definitely an, an amazing feeling. It was crazy. Uh, the atmosphere, the fans, the game itself. Uh, you know, it, it was fun to go to two OT, but uh, I wish we would have killed that game. You know, uh, in the first 48 minutes. Uh, but you know, uh, it was a dog fight, really, especially towards the end. I mean, I'm sure you guys could see like we were both tired. Um, and, you know, I feel like that's where, you know, all the conditioning we did during the preseason, all the, the drills and the long hours in the gym, you know, paid off. And, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the energy was incredible. So the fans really helped us uh, get that one. All right, game one. Game one of the season. What a night it was. Double overtime. All the stars in the building. Nick Celtics. Two original NBA franchises, 1946, you know, the whole thing. And uh, the Knicks pulled this game out. And those who were watching on TV probably like were like, wow, what's going on there? I mean, you look around, you see Dustin Hoffman, you see Spike Lee, you see all these folks, everybody's having a good time. And I was thinking the whole time, I can't wait to talk to Ashley Nicole Boss because she has experienced She's experienced this atmosphere at the Garden. And, and Ashley, let's just start off this way. Tell us your best or your best several Garden stories because, you know, Kimba Walker grew up in New York, but he never really was a Nick, uh, at, played for the Knicks, and Evan Fournier is a first-year Knicks player. But you've devoted your life to the Knicks. What's your best uh, Garden <laughs> story or Garden stories? First of all, New York, we here. <laughs> What's up? Listen. <laughs> I know a lot of people were counting us out. They said it was a fluke. It's only one game, but I own the bragging rights, and I take them whenever they come my way. So, New York, we here. 
Listen, entering the garden, regardless of what game you go to, is such a magical experience because there's so much history in the garden. Yes, they've done renovations and stuff to kind of make it, you know, more modern and things like that. But it's just when you enter the Mecca, it just feels different. I kind of relate it to when I step off the plane, whenever I go to New Orleans, I can feel the energy. I can feel the history of the city. And that's kind of like, it's not kind of, that's exactly what it's like when you step into the garden. It's just, you can feel all the iconic and historic games that have been played there the players that have walked those halls whether on the Knicks or not there's really no place in the world quite like it there's nowhere in the sports world quite like it that's not something just Knicks fans say that's not just something that basketball enthusiasts say just to say it it's really truly if you've ever had an opportunity to see a game in the garden whether you're a Knicks fan or not if you have the opportunity to see a game in the garden take it there's no place in the world quite like it I've never been there. I've never oh been gosh. to a game what? there. I know. It's surprising. Oh. This is like saying you haven't seen one of the great movies out there. Michael, where would, yeah. you rate, where would you rate MSG in all the NBA arenas out there? Way up there. Way up there, especially when the Knicks are good. Because yeah. when, the oh, Knicks, yeah. uh, when the Knicks are down, sorry, Ashley, you know, it's like, okay, there's a little drama missing from it. But I've had so, so many uh, great moments at Madison Square Garden. My favorite one, uh, I remember a Knicks-Celtics game back in the day, and I'm looking around. You know, obviously Spike is there. I'm looking around, and I see a brother sitting courtside, and he's got a walking stick, and he's got on like eight- or nine-inch stilettos. The hair is perfect, saying. and it was my dude, Prince. I <laughs> yes. said, look at Prince. Sitting there, chilling. And, and Prince, he was in character. He was in character the whole time because a couple of back and forth dunks, unbelievable plays, and he's like, just not like, I'm not going to get up out of myself here. You know, this is supposed to happen. I know about yeah. drama. I'm not going to scream. He was just yeah. chilling. And then I saw him, I saw him after the game, probably like two feet away, and y'all, I froze. I, I didn't know what to say. I froze. So. Yeah. I kind of choked. Yep. Rest in peace to the purple one. I can understand. My mom would have done the exact same thing. Hell, I would have probably done the exact same thing. And yeah. you know, he's up there with Beyonce for me, so that's a big deal. So, so what do you think? So, so Michael made the caveat there that it's a great place to watch a game, quote unquote, when the Knicks are good and when you have an exciting team to watch. So they maybe surprised some people last year, Ashley. Now there's more expectation on this team. Can they take the next step? What do they need to do to take the next step? And, and try to put your, uh, your fandom, your biases aside, or actually use them, because that probably will work too. <laughs> um, what, what do you think? Can they do it? Can they keep it up? I think they can. Look, it's a long season, okay? And there's a lot of talent, not only in the NBA as a whole, but the East has gotten drastically better. This is not the days, you know, of the past where the East was the stepchild of the NBA. and You kind of already knew which one or two teams were going to come out on top. There's a whole lot more talent and there's a lot more competition. I think the Knicks are in a very good position and a position that as fans and basketball enthusiasts, you hope that they would be. They've gotten better from last season. Now, will they see that fourth seed again? 
Maybe, maybe not. It could be a fifth seed. It could be a sixth seed. It could be a third seed. But I think really the realistic expectations for this team is to just get better than last season. You need to prove that last season was not a fluke. You need to prove that last season wasn't, you know, just by circumstance, things and it just happens to fall in your lap, that you are a true, gritty playoff contender each and every season. They have the defense. Their big man, Mitchell Robinson, is now back. That helps a lot when it comes to limiting paint points in the paint. It helps a lot when it comes to getting those offensive rebounds. It helps a lot with those second and third chance opportunities. Julius Randle seems to be in his bag. You have extra help in scoring with Evan Fournier. Obviously, Kemba needs to step up a little bit, but it, but it was his first game back home. He probably was a little nervous playing in front of his hometown, probably friends and family on the stands. You need the young guys to carry their weight. You need the vets to go ahead and pitch in when they can. A lot of good talent. I know they don't have the biggest names in the NBA, but sometimes you don't need the biggest to be um, the more complete, solid team, and I think the Knicks have the opportunity to prove that. I saw Kemba up close, Ashley, for a couple of years. Uh, we may have to revisit that situation. I don't know. I know he he's from the Bronx, but mm-hmm. he kind of plays defense like he's from like Orlando or something, man. Like he, he, he's he got a little... He, He's got to get that New York swagger back in him. Sometimes when you leave the city for a while and you come back, it takes you a couple of days to reacclimate. But listen, once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker. And it doesn't take very long to get the swagger back. He'll be okay. Okay, we'll check in. I'll check in with you at the halfway point, see how you feel about that. Okay, I'm going to put that on pause. But I do want to ask you about Ben Simmons. I was talking with Ahmed about him and just – you know, what his situation is, what his strategy is versus what Daryl Morey's strategy is. Uh, the, the, the question that really doesn't seem to have an easy answer, how does this thing play out? And, and who has the advantage right now in your estimation? Well, the Sixers have the advantage. I mean, they're the business, right? They're the ones controlling when Ben Simmons leaves and where he goes to ultimately, right? So the trade is on their timetable. It's not on Ben Simmons' timetable, you know, unfortunately for him, because I know he doesn't want to be there. We all know he doesn't want to be there. But the business of basketball is when you leave, the team needs to make sure what they're getting for you is worthwhile to them. And that doesn't happen overnight. I think that there's no fixing this relationship for multiple reasons. One, he's kind of already let the fans, the franchise, the front office, his teammates know he does not want to be there. They already have a sour taste in their mouth from the last time they were in the playoffs where he didn't even go up for a dunk against that series in that series against Atlanta. But even taking it a step further, now it's kind of like you're take, you're lashing out on your teammates. Some of these guys have gone to bat for Ben Simmons publicly, whether on social media. And now it's like you're, you're coming into practices. You're being more disruptive than you are being helpful. You have your phone in your pocket. It's clear you don't want to be there. And these guys really are only there to practice and to win games and ultimately win a championship. That is all athletes. That is all basketball players want to do is win and win a title. So now you're coming in there and you're taking out the situation that the franchise and the front office that I understand is extremely frustrating. It must be terrible to have to show up someplace every single day that you do not want to be in. But here's the reality. You were there until you're not there. And I can understand not having respect for the higher ups, but you should at least have respect for the guys who wear the same jersey as you because they didn't do this and it's not their fault that you're in this situation. 
Ashley, this is super interesting, and I think it fits into kind of a bigger story that we've been telling about the NBA for a few years now. It's, it's how much power does the player have versus how much power did the teams, the GMs have. Um, we've seen it with you know, big threes coming together and basically doing it on their terms. I think this is kind of an extension of that with Ben Simmons trying to see how much power he has, even though he is under contract for a while here. Marvin Bagley, I think kind of the same thing. That story with his agent talking about the playing time and not being part of the rotation early on this season, how that hurts them. They haven't said they want to trade, but you can kind of uh, read between the lines that that's what they're talking about at this point if he doesn't get some playing time. Is this just a tension between player, how much power they have, team, how much power they have, and is this going to go on for as long as we have the NBA, or is there some sort of resolution that we're going to get to a point where these these two sides can meet meet in harmony. Well, I'll tell you one thing: owners are counting down the days until the new CBA. <laughs> I can tell you that much. They're they're in a whirlwind of emotions right now. But I think, look, at the end of the day, there are tears in the NBA. Whether you want to admit it or not, there are tears. And there's only a handful of guys, at least right now, that are able to kind of pull these moves. You look at LeBron, you look at Kevin Durant, you look at Anthony Davis, Kawhi, and it's a very small group of guys. Not everybody can move like that. I think Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving are kind of figuring out the hard way that they're not that guy. And that doesn't mean that you're not a good player. That doesn't mean that you're not a conducive member to a team That doesn't mean you can't help them win a title or you yourself can't win a title. It just means that there are levels and there are levels in any type of business. There are higher ups and then there are people, you know, towards the bottom of the totem pole. And that just simply means that you can't get away with certain things that other people can get away with. And this would be a different situation. Look at James Harden. James Harden kind of had this situation in the bag. He got it handled and moved on. And now he's happy in Brooklyn. At least he was happy in Brooklyn. We don't know if he's still happy there, but that's a different conversation Ben Simmons is not Ah. that guy so he kind of just has to wait for you know the cards on the table to kind of just continue to be dealt and he sees what his future is but there are some guys who can bully their way out of a situation a lot quicker than others Ben Simmons is just not that guy now let me ask you I thought about this and I'd love you both to weigh in on this uh do you think Ben Simmons can make it in New York, for example. I, I know the Knicks aren't, no. aren't, aren't rumored to be, <laughs> it, but you don't think he can make it there? Absolutely not. New York is... it because is, you I've, don't think he's... Why not? I will, go, I will go on the record and say, and I know people will go ahead and disagree with me. Some people will say, no, you don't know this city. New York is the hardest market to play in. New Yorkers are extremely ruthless. They hold no punches. They will love you if you're playing really, really well, and they are not afraid to boo you and trash you in every media outlet, on the streets while you're getting groceries, walking your dog, minding your business. It is that serious. New Yorkers are not people who bite their tongue, and if Ben said Simmons thinks that the Philly fan base has been tough on him. You try playing in Madison Square Garden and not jumping up for a layup in a playoff series that the Knicks have seen the first one in eight years. You think it's bad there? Ben Simmons couldn't walk out of his apartment on Fifth Avenue without having somebody say something to him. It's that serious. New York is notorious for being a very tough market. And that's why a lot of people can't play in New York. And there's nothing wrong with that. People know what they're getting into when they go into New York City. And a lot of people don't want to deal with it. I defer. I defer to Ashley's knowledge on playing in, in New York City and what okay. it, what it would take there. I've always had, I've always had so much fun there. You know, I, I can't imagine. I can't <laughs> imagine true. it wouldn't be a great place to play. But it's seriously, it's all fun look, until it's I'm not, Michael. It's all fun until it's not. But, but tell <laughs> me this: 
Tell me, Ashley, why would it be different? Than, but Philly is the same way. It's the same way, that, and it's smaller. So Philly, so that the, you can hide more in New York. Okay, let's see. I don't want to be around the garden. Uh, let me go to Long Island. <laughs> let me hide. In Philadelphia, they are also, they'll love you if you play well, and they don't hold their tongues either. Trust me. So I, I think he could. I think he, I, I think he could make it there. And the reason I'm, at, I'm saying this is because Ben Simmons, we got to keep reminding. I'm not, I'm not making excuses for him, although I've made excuses for him before. He's 25. Mm. And, I, and if you guys think back to 25, it's a longer journey back for Ahmed and I. Uh, Ashley, I was you yesterday, 25, <laughs> or days ago. But so, so, or, or today. Yeah. But, you know, you think about today, the progress. You think about the growth. Right? But think about the growth, though. The growth from where you are now and where you were at 25, if he's about it. Now, I know a lot of people don't think he's about it. But what if, what if it just kind of goes off and he's like, okay, I get it now. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that that guy could be a real asset for a team? I mean, look, I don't think he's not an asset right now. I think he's a brilliant defensive player. He can guard every position one through five. His offense needs a lot of work. He needs to be willing to put in the work. And that's been a critique of him. He comes across very entitled. He comes across very lazy if you listen to other reports that are out there. And he does not want to do the work. He does not want to get better. And in a sense, you can kind of see that product unfold on the court, right? He hasn't made these drastic strides in his offense. Defense is another conversation, but when it comes comes to scoring you haven't really seen much you haven't seen many drastic improvements for him and I think that's the critique so yes if a light switch just goes off one day and now all of a sudden he's a different person and he has you know a different work ethic and a different mindset absolutely any team wants him I think any team wants him right now but if you're asking if he can play in a market like Los Angeles like New York or like Philly with the way that he currently maneuvers and the way he currently thinks absolutely not because those aren't fan bases that are very forgiving those aren't fan bases that are very patient those are fan bases that will boo you while they're wearing your jersey in the crowd because you aren't putting the effort in. And I think Ben Simmons has to realize that I can understand there's there's a line, right? Players and fans, fans should not disrespect players outside of the game of basketball. Don't name call, you know, don't talk about people's families, don't throw things at them. But boos and, and you know... Uh, playful name calling, like when they did uh, Trey Young at the Garden, where yeah. Trey is balding and chants like that. That's playful. part of the game. That is just part playful. of the game. And ben, listen, it's playful, and no one, no one's feelings are going to get ultimately hurt. He's fine. He's not worrying about it. But Ben wants people to coddle him, regardless of how he maneuvers, and that's just not the real world, especially not the sports world. Go to the Detroit Pistons. I'm from Mich- I'm from Michigan. So we, we're nice to a fault. We're nice to a fault. So we'll, <laughs> we'll root for him. Uh, I, I just want to ask you, you know, Ben Simmons has dominated the headlines. Kyrie has dominated the headlines. Those mm. have been two stories. Those are, you know, mostly off-the-court stories, at least at this point. Is there anything that's happened in this first week on the court that's really caught your eye, maybe different than you thought it would be, or, or just stood out to you in the first week of this season so far? 
the Warriors are back. Yeah. I can say that. The Golden State Warriors are back, and they're not even at full strength yet. I mean, Clay Thompson hasn't stepped foot on that court. We haven't seen the Splash Brothers together since 2019. It is absolutely incredible the type of basketball that they are playing, how Steph Curry's playing. Again, only two games, a couple of games in. A lot can happen. A lot can change. But I will go as far as saying that if the Warriors can continue this trajectory and Clay Thompson comes back and he's not a shell of the player that he was because, listen, two major injuries back-to-back can be detrimental to anybody, but especially someone who's used to playing at such a high caliber like Clay Thompson, you may not see him come back in, in the same capacity, but if he can even come back 80% close to the player that he is, let alone 100 I would not be surprised if the Golden State Warriors are the team to beat in the West. I know we talk about the Lakers, and it's LeBron, and it's Carmelo Anthony, and it's Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, and all those names, a whole lot of Hall of Famers. Just because you got the big name doesn't mean you necessarily got the better team. And you can't sleep on Golden State. This is a championship team that has a lot of these guys, at least the core of Draymond, Clay, and Steph, have won multiple championships together. They know what it's like. They know what they have to do. Do not sleep on Golden State. They may have the Lakers number when it comes down to it. Wow, I like it. I like it. Ooh, that's the way to land the plane. (laughs) Next time you come on. We're going to talk about a team, a franchise that has multiple championships. The problem is they were one in the 1990s. That's your Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Next time we come on, we're talking about the Cowboys. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Hey, Ashley, appreciate it. And I got to tell you, that jacket is so, that's fire. Yeah. That is the Thanks. fashion item of the month. Right there. You have to let our... A little yellow suede our, uh, to brighten up the day. You know, just a little something, son. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, you, you, you gotta let our viewers know where you got it. At some point. Not right now. Not right now. Maybe. <laughs> Tweet it now out. Now you don't want to tell your secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, don't tell the secrets. Ashley Nicole Moss. Check her out. Laces out. Sports Illustrated. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Yeah, he's uh, he's he has been better than I thought, and I thought he was going to be really good. And I've been really impressed with his body of work and his resume over the course of his career. Uh, I think he's doing a great job. You know, I think the best players elevate those around them. I think guys are playing better around him. I think he's seeing the field really well. I think he has great ownership and autonomy of what we're really trying to get done. Uh, and I think he's able to really apply all that experience. You know, he's had a lot of great experiences, a lot of great coaches, a lot of great teammates that he's played with in Detroit. So he's able to take that, apply it in the right ways, and then he's playing with 10 really good players around him on a regular basis. And so I think he's doing an excellent job. I think Kevin O'Connell and Zach Robinson have done an outstanding job of providing clarity for him week in and week out in terms of what we're looking for. But, um, you know, can't say enough about the leadership that he's displayed, and I think the best make everybody around you better, and that's exactly what he's done. Man, that is, uh, listen, you, when you need a job recommendation and Sean McVay calls you, uh, he's on your side. <laughs> hey, you want that guy making a recommendation for you. That is glowing. 
McVeigh saying Stafford is is better than he thought. And I'm glad we're talking about this, Ahmed, mm-hmm. before Vinny uh, Goodwill comes on, because Vinny, like you, a son of the state of Michigan, uh, but unlike you, Vinny is not feeling Matt Stafford, and I think that you are. So tell us why Matt Stafford is your guy and Sean McVay's guy, but not Vinny Goodwill's What's guy. What's not who, who to, we'll talk yeah. With in about 10 minutes. I'm going to have to ask him about that. What's not to like about it? Now, you, you say that. I was looking at Pro Football Focus, who grades all the quarterbacks and every play, all, every position, not just quarterbacks. Um, they actually have Stafford graded his lowest grade since 2015, which kind of like my eyebrow went up like this. I don't quite get that. He seems pretty good to the eye test to me. Um, but it does kind of show that Stafford has been this guy for a while. He's just been an obscurity with the Detroit Lions. And there is a segment of Lions fans who's, who are like, oh, he never won the big one. Either. I was like, yeah, because he played for the Detroit Lions. You know, as a Lions fan, I can say that. Right. Um, and now you're seeing Matt Stafford as pretty much we've seen him over the last you know, five, six, seven years. It's just that he's doing it on a team that is built around him as a great defense, great receivers and Cooper Cup and, and Woods. So, I mean, like, Sean McVay, I think you can make the argument he might be the one of the top coaches in the NFL as like a motivator, X's and O's guy. He seems to kind of have it all. And so him matching up with a quality quarterback like Matthew Stafford, it's why I picked him to – uh, to be in the Super Bowl and, and lose to the Buffalo Bills, but uh, they're, they're they're just so they're just so fun to watch, and it's hard to find a weakness. And I'm loving that Matt Stafford finally can get the you know the flip flip the narrative as they say and be the guy that's a winning quarterback and not a losing quarterback with the Detroit Lions. Yeah, and I think he has already started from a from a regular season standpoint. We know that the Lions have gone to the playoffs before; they've had winning records under. Matthew Stafford, he's been a pro bowler. He's had a 5,000-yard season. He's done a lot of incredible individual things. One thing he hasn't been able to do, and it depends. I'll I'll be honest with you, uh, Ahmed. I would use any argument I needed to win the argument. So if I need to say, hey, it's bigger than just one guy, and I'm siding with Matthew Stafford, I could be pro-Matthew Stafford. But if I want to hate on Matthew Stafford, which I've done in the past, I can say, well, how many? show me some playoff wins. You know, yeah. I mean, you can go all you can go all day long on this, but I think the real story is the real separator for him will be if he actually does. Like when he wins playoff games, then you can't say anything about him. He doesn't necessarily have to win the Super Bowl, but if they if if he wins playoff a, a couple of playoff games with the uh, with the Rams, let's say uh, they, they win a divisional round, they win a uh, conference championship, and they lose the Super Bowl, is anyone going to say, "See, Matthew Stafford's not a winner"? No. The, the, the one thing you can say about anybody who's played for Detroit, if you really want to knock them, great players for Detroit, you say they don't win. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a systemic issue. Yes. That's much larger than any individual player, whether it's Matthew Stafford, Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson. That's just, that's just Detroit ownership, right? Yeah, they've been losing for a lot longer than Matthew Stafford has been alive. So, yeah, yeah. As, as a Detroit Lions fan, I can confirm those rumors. They have been bad for, 
for a long time. And, and the way he's playing with a good team makes you wonder why we didn't hear more teams involved. It was almost like the Rams made the deal. Boom, it was over. Now, there were some connections there with the new GM coming over from L.A., the new GM in Detroit. So who knows? Maybe they were talking before other teams could get involved. But I think of a team like the San Francisco 49ers who are desperate to find that next quarterback. You know, Mac Jones. Is it going to be Trey Lance? They want to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I think you could almost flip those two franchises and, and teams and record-wise just depending on where Matthew Stafford is. If Matthew Stafford was on the 49ers and not the Rams, I don't know if we wouldn't see the 49ers being talked about in the same way that we're talking about the L.A. Rams right now. I really do think the quarterback and Matthew Stafford could make that big of a difference. I don't know if you agree with that, at least in that division. No, I, I think so, especially, as you said, that division. Look at them. I mean, that division is incredible. If you have, if you have, a, if you have healthy quarterbacks, you might say it's the best division quarterback-wise. Yeah. Uh, in football, you have Jimmy Garoppolo slash Trey Lance. You got Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford. That's pretty impressive. Uh, let me ask you this: one more thing on the Rams, fashion-wise. Yeah. Since we're talking about fashion yeah. with Ashley, let's just continue yeah. the conversation. I got to admit this to you: when the Rams first trotted out their uniform design, their their updated design, and I know a lot of Rams fans. They pro they had protests, man. They were like Eric Dickerson yeah. came out saying how horrible it was. Everybody <laughs> was talking about, oh, this is a travesty. I gotta admit to you, I love their uniforms now. They're growing. I think on their you. uniforms are great, and I didn't think. Uh, no, no, no. Beyond that, I'm there. I look at them now, and I think they're better than the classic, you know, the classic, you know, Ram helmet and that color. Because when I first saw the color, I said, ooh, scream much? You screaming at me? <laughs> but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm used to it. Yeah, and now you, you saw you and now, the, yes. the design? Yeah, the design, like the design was a little, like the gradient numbers, I'm still coming around on the gradient and uh, transitioning from one color to another. I'm not totally sold on that. Now, they're not using Look it that. on that jersey right there. But you're Sweet. right. The bold colors. We saw Ashley with the jacket. That's bold yellow. That's in right now. The Rams were Fantastic. ahead of their time. The Rams were ahead of their time. Come on. I'm in. I, I'm totally and sold. I'm like you. I I'll was not you. in, and now I am in. See, uniforms. I can talk about uniforms. That's, that's, that's the next show. We're just going to talk about uniforms in all sports. Um, but a, a team that doesn't really have much of an identity helmet-wise. Yes. The Cleveland Browns. I grew up watching them in Northeast Ohio, and they had a little different look last night, had that matte orange helmet with the classic uh, brown, brown and white uh, stripe right down the middle. But beyond that, beyond the classic design, the Cleveland Browns last night were a running game. This was old-school football. It was Browns and Broncos. I'm sure people in both cities were going, uh, going in the Wayback Machine and thinking about the drive and the fumble. Oof. Uh, from the 1980s, but these teams aren't aren't there yet at that championship level. But it was a great game, and you saw this guy, Dearness Johnson, a yeah. third-string running back. I've never heard anyone in. named Dearness before, by the way. Like that's the first Dearness De De I've ever. It's the first known. first Dearness. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, uh, black folks, we're very creative with the names. We're very creative, very creative. <laughs> I'm at, like, high, next level. But I've never heard of Dearness. That's, that's, that's new. 
I've heard Ernest. I've heard Ernst. I've heard D. I've never heard like the D Ernest put together. <laughs> but let's hear him after the game talking about his uh, big rushing performance and his 17 to 14 win. Dearness Johnson to me is just a warrior, um, great teammate. Uh, what he's fought through in his career, and then to go have a, a night like that and, and to end it how he did uh, on that third down, I thought was just uh, outstanding. They just basically told him, just be me, man. Don't change nothing. Just be you. Continue doing you. That's what got me here, and don't change nothing, you know. So what did the first touchdown and first 100-yard game in the NFL feel like? Unexplainable. I, I can't even lie to you. Like I didn't. I wanted to celebrate, but I didn't know what to do, man. <laughs> like I just yelled because it's been a long journey, man. And just to to get your first start and get a hundred yards and get a touchdown, man. That ain't nothing but God, man. And I get thanks to Him. You already seen LeBron shouted you out on Twitter. Man, you big time. <laughs> That's big time right there. LeBron. Yeah. Your game. Don't retweet that. Man, well, that's my favorite basketball player. I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> that's great. That's just a I mean, hey, Ahmed, that's just a great response from a guy that a lot of people hadn't heard of yeah. before last night. And it's not just 146 yards and a touchdown here. I'm still I'm still holding on to some some remnant of a running game. I, you know, I think a lot of people talk about running back in football like it doesn't matter. It still does matter. Hey, maybe you don't build your team around a running back in 2021, but you'd much rather have a running game than not. The reason the Browns won that game, sure, they went up big and then the Broncos uh, made it close with a late touchdown to make it 17-14. But the reason the Browns won that game is because in the last five minutes, all they did was put it in the belly of never heard of it before, Dearness, Dearness Johnson, and he salted away the last five minutes. It was impressive. Simple as that. Yeah. Now you wonder. It's like, okay, can they just plug in anyone on that offensive line? I mean, because it's like we've seen it with Kareem Hunt. They've you've seen it with Nick Chubb, but he was making cuts and moves that you don't see every running back making. And so I, I agree with you. It's like that's the. That's the idea with drafts. You're like, oh, you can get a running back in the third round. They're all kind of the same. You watch Derrick Henry, he's not like anyone. You watch Delvin Cook, he's not like anyone. Right. You watch you know, Christian McCaffrey when he's healthy. He, like, no one can do what he can do. And so there are still, like any other position there, top five, ten in the league who can do things that, that no one else can do and have value. But it really does get me thinking about right. a guy like Dearness Johnson who has been on the team, I think this is now his fourth year, third or fourth year, hasn't got a whole lot of run because they've had some of the best running backs in football. It it gets me thinking every year how many of these guys are in the NFL, or in any sport for that matter, who have the talent, if given the opportunity, they would be one of the better players at their position. Uh, and, and I think it happens probably more in football than other sports just because it's so interconnected. You might, I mean, like Matt Stafford, the guy we just talked about. We'd be talking about his career in a totally different light, his ability in a totally different light, if he played on a different team, a championship team, and was going to the playoffs every year. I mean, like, look at the moves. And this is a guy that's not gotten any run for four years in the league. You can't tell me that if he wasn't a starting running back two years ago, he wouldn't be, you know, one of the top 10, 15 in the league. But we're just finding out about him now. I like the way, uh, it's, a, it's a good question, Ahmed. I like the way he was bouncing off of people, too. And 
at that point in the game, what you got to do is pick up first downs and hold on to the football. And you see, uh, like we just showed like three or four pretty significant hits there, and the ball didn't move. He was carrying the ball the right way. Uh, look, if he doesn't get his opportunity in Cleveland, he'll get an opportunity somewhere else, especially when you have breakout games like that. Now, uh, you mentioned Matthew Stafford a few times. I'm looking at the time. Yeah. Uh, we got Vinny Goodwill coming up soon. Okay. So I, I know Vinny, Vinny is known for his NBA excellence, but we got to start off. When Vinny comes on, we starting off with the Stafford conversation. Yeah. I'm just going to watch y'all. What's not to like? Michigan people. What's like not to like? It's like Michigan on Michigan. Just let y'all find it out. <laughs> we have Vinny. We have Vinny coming up soon. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, listen, we just talked about this, but but Vinny Goodwill wasn't here when we mentioned that Sean McVay, head coach of the L.A. Rams with their fly uniforms, says that Matthew Stafford has been better than he thought. And keep in mind that the Rams gave up a ton to get Stafford, gave up uh, several first-round picks, and gave up their own, we thought he was a pro bowler, but not so much, pro bowl quarterback Jared Goff to get Stafford. Now, Ahmed thinks that Stafford is a good quarterback. Yes. Vinny Goodwill, our guy, our brother from another, <laughs> what say you? I'm just going to give me the popcorn. I'm going to go watch. He's a good quarterback. I mean, that, that, is that saying a lot? Is that – yeah, I'm not bashing Matthew Stafford. I just don't bow at the altar of Matthew Stafford that he was a franchise savior in Detroit, which he was not or that he's even the franchise savior with the Rams? Do you see the guys that he's throwing to? Do you see how open Cooper Cup is? I can tell you how open Cooper Cup is because he's on my fantasy team, and we're getting buckets right now, buckets of touchdowns and buckets of yards, which is what we've always known about Matthew Stafford. He can throw for 35 touchdowns. He can throw for 4,000 yards. It's not about September or October. It's about January with Matthew Stafford. What's the signature Matthew Stafford playoff moment, Michael Holly? Don't worry, I'll wait. <laughs> I can't yeah. think of one. Yeah, so so I can't think of one. Your the best argument against Matthew Stafford, Vinny, is that is that Jared Goff did the same and brought the Rams to a Super Bowl. So that's the best uh, argument again. But uh, you know, as a as a Lions fan, we don't have that much, right? Let's at least appreciate a time where we had a quarterback who was solidly above average. That's all I'm saying. Oh, let's just let's just celebrate the fact that oh, we had a quarterback so that was better than most. That's sad. Wait, wait, you said you're a Lions oh. fan? I'm a Lions fan, yeah. Why? Well, it's where I grew up. I can't disown it as much as I've tried. No, past. no, you can, you can get out of toxic relationships. We've been <laughs> taught that over the past X amount of years. I quit the Lions July 27th, 1999. That's yeah. the day that you should have quit. How old are you? Yeah. You have gray hair. So I'm, you're, you, I'm you're old enough to, me. yeah, I was uh, 90, 99, you said. That's when you quit, I'm 99. Yeah, you know, I was old enough to quit. I was old enough to know better. You're right. You're right. I've stayed long enough, and now that at this time, I don't know if I can live without him. So it's hard. It's a it's a hard relationship. 
and I'm getting oh, depressed wow. thinking about it. You, you can detox. Here's oh, the thing. Oh, man, this is like... I like... No, no. Here's the thing. I think people believe that because... I, I think Matthew Stafford was the least scrutinized number one pick. When you think about the number one picks from the quarterback position over the past, let's just say, decade, and you go back to Cam Newton and was it Carson Wentz or Jared Goff, whatever that situation was, I can't remember exactly how that played out. All those number one picks got all types of hell. Matthew Stafford caught nothing. The Lions... When they had their ineptitude on the world stage, it was, oh, my God, there's the Lions again. But how many other quarterbacks got that level of grace and said, oh, the Panthers had a terrible offensive line. Cam Newton can't throw behind that. Or organizational dysfunction everywhere else. My thing was, what are the rules that Matthew Stafford gets to run by relative to everyone else? If the rules are parallel, cool. But if they're not, I got a problem with it. And when you consider the fact that Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson – could have gotten traded and had to retire and the Lions gave Matthew Stafford a golden parachute on his way out and traded him to a, you know, a great place. Wait a minute. I don't know if that sits well with me. That's just one of those things that make you go. Hmm. Now, what I will say is that, that Matthew Stafford see, has see. done things in the NFL that no other quarterback has done. He's broken some records there and he did it with the Detroit Lions and in that franchise. But Michael, I'm in the uncomfortable position of defending the Detroit Lions and some former players on that team. Hey, listen, and that's, that's it's, no one likes it's, that. It's too depressing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too depressing. Yes. Vinny's right. It's a toxic relationship. And we get to see you in real time as Vinny counsels you yes. to get out of that relationship. Leave her alone. She's not good for you. You need to move on. Hey, bro, you can do better, man. Yeah. You all right? You all right? Come on. We're we trying to pump you up. And, and you're having these self-doubts on camera. It's been very it's therapeutic. Very I want to talk about another dysfunctional. <laughs> Let's talk about another dysfunctional relationship. And that is the relationship between Philadelphia, Vinny, Ben Simmons, Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey, Joel Embiid, it's, it's, it's a whole family drama. I know you have written about this. Daryl Morey has talked about it. Let's listen to Morey, and then I want, I want you to talk about uh, your fine column on it. Here's Daryl Morey on uh, Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio. This is a very good player. And to give ourselves the best chance to win the title, you need difference makers. You don't need role players. Right now, any sort of trade, which obviously Ben Simmons wants, uh, the best thing we can do is get role players back. Um, that makes no sense. That will give us no better chance to win the title if we were to move Ben Simmons for role players. So people should buckle in. I mean, this, this, could, this is going to go a long time because our, our only path, my only job is to help us give the best chance to win the title uh, ben Simmons is a difference maker, so if we can get him back, he will help us win the title. If we can trade Ben Simmons for a difference maker, we will do it. I think that's best for everyone in this situation. Wow, Vinny, Vinny, this is bizarre. Uh, and you, the headline of Yahoo Sports, Ben Simmons saga won't end unless Daryl Morey does something he rarely does. And... I will just go right to the author and say, what is that thing that he needs to do that he rarely does, Vinny, to make this situation to, better? He needs to cut bait. Like, I know the common trope is, you know, you don't want to trade Ben Simmons for 50 cents on a dollar. But guess what? That dollar is sitting in the glass case that you're not using anyway, that you can't spend. So 50 cents, which could be C.J. McCollum or whatever, whatever the best player out of it is, makes the Philadelphia 76ers 
a better team than they are without Ben Simmons on the floor. Daryl Morey tries to purport himself like he didn't know what he was walking into. He received a handsome salary, but we all knew that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were an awkward match and that they were going to have to be choices made. This wasn't like, oh, my God, Game 7 in Atlanta happened, and then the light bulb went off that Ben Simmons had to go. It wasn't just Ben Simmons that wanted out. If you remember correctly, Daryl Morey was ready to ship Ben Simmons off to Houston for James Harden last year, but couldn't. So let's not pretend. I think Moore always tries to be this moral authority on, well, you know, I really don't want to trade him, but since he doesn't, since he doesn't want to be here, I have to get equal value. No, you don't. You have to do what's best for the long-term health of your team. And by long-term health, don't they have a center that has back problems and knee problems and conditioning issues? And we don't know how long that clock is ticking on Joel Embiid's body. So you're saying buckle up because you don't have to deal with this every day. You don't have to be in a locker room every day. You're saying buckle up because you're in an airplane 30,000 feet, feet off the ground and everybody else is in the car driving through traffic. He, to me, lacks a certain human touch when it comes to dealing with teams and players and that they're not chess pieces. He said, you know, what are the odds? And he's looking at this from a numerical standpoint. And while that's fine, you have to understand that Doc Rivers had to stand and take these bullets every day. And so does Joel Embiid. And they're not trying to hear about where's Ben Simmons, what's Ben Simmons going to do, and all these leaks that come out every day that makes Ben Simmons and Daryl Morey look like a modern-day Tom and Jerry chasing the cheese. Who cares? Get rid of them and move on from it. Oh, that, I mean, that's hard to hard to argue with that. I, I guess the the one point that Maury might make is, if if you don't stand the line somewhere, you know, all of your players when they get the itch to move on somewhere else, they know that they can do that. If if no matter if it's a one year deal, two year deal, four year deal, it's that if you let this slide with Ben Simmons and let him dictate the rules, then what's to stop any of your other superstars that you have from here till forever for doing the same thing? Uh, welcome to today's NBA. <laughs> this is this is what's been going on for years now. This is not anything new. Ben Simmons is not changing the paradigm. Daryl Morey seems to be on some moral crusade to change the paradigm of what player empowerment looks like. Players ask out of their contracts to get traded all the time, and inevitably they wind up getting their way. It don't matter if it's right. What matters is is that's the precedent that's been set. For the past 10 years, I don't disagree with you that if a player has four years and $140 million left on his contract, man up and play. I agree with you. But at the same time, he knew when he took this job that there was so much damage done between Ben Simmons and the organization that last year wasn't going to fix anything, in my opinion. You know when you take that job that this is something that you're going to have to address one way or the other, and they chose Joel Embiid. That is the best choice. That is the right choice. You chose Joel Embiid. Now your choice is to trade Ben Simmons and get something for him. His thing is he's being disingenuous, guys, when he's talking about all they're offering is role players. He's asking for multiple first-round picks, three first-round picks and pick swaps. That's why they're only offering you quote-unquote role players because you're having to give up every asset in the future that you have for a guy who's the last time we saw him was passing up dunks with Trey Young under the rim in the fourth quarter. Those are the breaks. You can't you can't say I want role players and then or I'm getting role players and then getting and then saying I want your best players and all of your draft picks for a depreciated asset. He's not being realistic and honestly he's not being truthful to Philadelphia. 
Yeah, and listen, uh, speaking of not being truthful, neither is Ben Simmons when he's talking about, hey, I- I'm not mentally, uh, uh, I'm not mentally oh, no, ready to play, true. y'all. Uh, oh, I and- think that's true. I think he wants no part of Philadelphia. I think he wants no part of those fans. Okay. No part of playing. I, I think he, does he look like the dude that embraces conflict? The Ben Simmons that we've seen, does he look like the dude that is ready to walk into a hostile environment? Hell, walk into a hostile locker room that is his teammates and perform I was going to say, maybe them. the locker room, right? It's all of the above. The locker room might be the hostile place. Yeah. Hey, you know, you know what, Vinny? I don't think, um, you tell me, I don't think C.J. McCollum is 50 cents on a dollar. Now, I'm not saying McCollum is, is as decorated as Ben Simmons. I think that's a pretty good trade. Do you think that's a good trade for Philly? Because I do. I think if you're Philadelphia, here's the, here's the boxes you have to check. You have to get a shot creator, right? You have to get a guy that can get his own shot at an elite level late in playoff games so teams can't load up on Joel Embiid, right? Those are the things that we saw last year that became a problem late in that playoff series. You're not going to get a guy who's a shot creator, a defender, a distributor, and all these other different things because Ben Simmons isn't all of these things. You have to pick the one quality that means the most to you as a franchise, move forward, and then try to fill in the blanks with the other space that you have. I think C.J. McCollum is a fabulous player if he's your second or third best player between he and Tobias Harris you have enough shot creation that you should make yourselves formidable now I didn't think that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid made a championship combination even if Ben Simmons was right and was there and was healthy I didn't think the mix was good so for him to pretend that this move has to make the 76ers markedly better as opposed to being what they were which is a second round playoff team that if the breaks go right can make the conference finals I think is disingenuous Uh, this is a topic that's created a lot of debate and I think the NBA is really good at that creating a lot of debate and they've done it also with their top 75 list you hear people chiming in who was left off who was put on there is it the recency bias with some of the players who uh, we've forgotten about in the bygone days um just your thoughts i don't think you've shared a whole lot on them yet Vinny. but uh did the nba and the, the the people in the blue ribbon committee mostly get it right with these top 75 players they got on, or on balance did they mostly get it wrong where would you where would you say they hit it's hard to mostly get it wrong, right? Because I think yes. 60 of the guys, by and large, are unassailable, right? Like, if I say a name to you, you're going to be like, yes, he's top 50. If I say Giannis, you're like, yes. If I say Kawhi Leonard, you might think about it, but you will say yes. LeBron, yes. Kobe, yes. I think the question comes in with maybe those last 10 names on the back end. I think the NBA was trying to serve a bunch of different masters here, and pardon the pun. They wanted to preserve the top 50. It wasn't a prerequisite, but I believe they made it known to their voters and selecting the voters that they selected, which was heavily skewed towards older people who saw those people, solo guys play. It was almost a tacit thing. Like we want to preserve the top 50. We don't want to take those guys off. And then you're saying, well, do guys play long enough? How much is winning involved? And if you have way too many factors outside of, Who's best to tell the story of the league from a performance standpoint, from how high you were when your game was at its best, then you're going to get a few names on there that you're going to be like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. 
And I think whenever you're doing 75, if it was 50, I think the 50 would be unassailable. When you're doing 75, there's always going to be a couple on the back end that make you say, hmm. And to the fact that you did not have Dwight Howard on there, I don't care how much of a pain in the ass that he's been over the past seven, eight years. That's you right. look at his That's first right. eight years, he belongs, and he's not top 75. Dwight Howard is type, top 50. Yeah, that's right. Dwight Howard. I was surprised, not shocked, but a little surprised that Bernard King uh, didn't make the list. A little surprised that Clay Thompson didn't make the list. I think Clay Thompson is a top 75. Now, I heard Steve Kerr say uh, Draymond should have been there. I don't think Draymond should have been on there, but but Clay, sure. Um, wow. And Vince Carter. No, Vince Carter. What? Hey. What, once again, what's the criteria? Is the criteria on how great you were at your best, how long you were to accumulate statistics, what the effect you had on the game? Every voter had their own criteria. There was not a select criteria. I was not selected to be part of this blue ribbon panel. I did not make it past that first set. I should look. I'm not going to campaign for myself. The league had its criteria. They, they had the boxes that they wanted to check off. And I respect, I certainly respect that. And I did not create my own 75 list, you know, so for me to criticize their list right now, that's something I'm actually going to be doing over the weekend to better formulate all of my thoughts. But to be perfectly, I, w- I was surprised yeah, where right. a few names weren't on there. But Dwight Howard is to me the most egregious uh, omission from that. And to me, I don't know about you guys, the one that I was a little bit shocked that he made it might have been Anthony Davis. Hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I would say that too. I would say that was a bit of a surprise. I've, I've been critical of Anthony Davis. Uh, Michael Smith has heard that rant many times. So I would say that. Last thing, uh, before we let you go, I know you're a very busy man. I can't wait to read your work on the 75 list. I'm just wondering, I know you're busy. Did you happen to catch Milwaukee and Brooklyn? I, I don't know. I know... Bro, you got a lot going on. Really great writer, man. I, I know how hard it is to write. I just don't know if you caught the game. Did you catch it? I was curious. Did you catch the game last night? Uh, Milwaukee, Miami. Did you catch that one? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious. No, I'm not no, sure. I no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I know you're catch a very, it, I know you're a very no. busy man. Denver was playing. I didn't uh, watch Denver it. was playing why. Cleveland last night. It was on League Pass, not TNT. Right. I was watching so that I, one. I completely understand the point that you are trying to make. So if you want to get into a battle of petty wars, let's get into a battle of petty wars here. You don't want to do that. You want to do that? You no. want to do that? Because I can be pettier. I can be pettier than you. You don't want to get into a battle. I know you can. I know you can. Don't want to get into a battle. But Vinny, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, and thank you for not mentioning today. You didn't mention Kevin Durant's shoe size. Um, you didn't mention injuries for Harden and, and Irving in the series against the Bucks. You didn't mention it. None of the excuses. None of the familiar Brooklyn Nets excuses. I never so that, do, my friend. I never do. I applaud. I never you. mention any of that stuff. <laughs> Don't do that. And yeah. you always try to get the last word. Yeah, smart man. He was trying to lead the break. I saw that too. He was. Yeah, he was trying yeah, to yeah, lead the was. break. He was smart like, man. okay, they'll cut him off here. Look at the time. Oh, we got to go. We got to go. (laughs) 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, listen, Ahmed, it's, it's the comments section. We always have a good time. Folks who are checking in on us, sometimes they're praising, sometimes they're criticizing, sometimes they just got things they just want to get off their chest. They're unburdening themselves. And I thought today, Ahmed, I thought we could yeah. have a four box, you, me, Brandon Newman, and Carter, but Carter can't make it today. Already big time. Man. Yeah, yeah. Already. Yeah. Like, the dude has his TV debut yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, TV debut yesterday. Now he's like, let's talk about that contract, though. That's let's what I... Contract. When, they, when they ask like, me to okay. do it, they go, and I go, hey, is Carter's going to be on, right? And they go, yeah, yeah, Carter will be on. Total lie. <laughs> Total lie. So, so, so we got Carter's dad. Yes. Brandon Newman, our social media director, coordinator, guru. And so, hey. Brandon, what are the streets talking about from uh, on Brother from Another, our Brother from Another streets? What do our fans say? They're still talking about Ben Simmons. And uh, Shams dropped the, the Shams bomb of him not being mentally fit. Uh, this on our YouTube page, uh, Chris Darren said, you can't be a team's number one option when you're scared to shoot the ball. Playoffs get tight, and sometimes it comes down to a possession. You need someone to take. You need someone to put it on their back and take a shot. You ain't. I'm sorry. He ain't done it yet, and he ain't gotten. And he ain't got better, like Tebow. Ooh, okay? like Tebow. Now I think. I think <laughs> comparing Simmons. I think comparing Simmons to Tim Tebow is completely unfair to Tim Tebow. But what's a better <laughs> NFL comp to Ben Simmons? Ooh. I'm thinking like a Todd Gurley, uh, Le'Veon Bell. You know, like, where, where's the wow. the bright lights? They just huh. flash out. That's a good the, question. Yo, the, the disrespect. You said it's unfair to Tebow. Who was like, did Tebow make a Pro Bowl, y'all? Did Tebow make no, a Pro Bowl? No way. I'm no wondering. way. Yeah, did, did he ever make one? No, he okay. he barely played. He, he wasn't I mean, like all. He, he wasn't all game, pro, right? And Gators Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean the the, the football lineage is okay, there. Ben good. Simmons wish. Ben so Simmons I'll, wish. I'll, I'll I'll meet you in the middle here. I'll, I'll, meet, I'll meet you in the middle. Tim Tebow was a dominant. He was a superior college player right. in his sport mm-hmm. than Ben Simmons was in his. But as a pro, it's really no comparison. But at NFL, it would have to be a, a guy in the NFL who's talented yet limited in a surprising area. Like it's known a, as yeah. a no, yeah. he's a really talented player, but but has a glaring limitation. But people kind of deal with it anyway. Maybe like a, I mean, kind of yeah. like along in the Tebow, where you can't throw as a quarterback. But maybe like we uh, the quarterback we saw like a Teddy Bridgewater, right? Doesn't have a very strong okay. arm, and that limits him. But I don't I don't know. That's a I he's more of a team player than Ben Simmons is. Well, that's true. Gotta, yeah, that's a good. You point. gotta get the off season stuff. How about yeah. Mike Vick? How about Mike Vick? Mike Vick. No, I, I love that Philly. Year. I loved Mike Vick. I think he was elite. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, he's, I'll he's, come back to that one. That's a good one. I, okay. Yeah. What do you Thank think? You. Hey, Michael. What do you think of that though? What do you think of that though? You can't win with Ben Simmons. You agree with that? No, I don't agree with that. 
I think Philadelphia can't win with Ben Simmons because it's just so much, uh, so much, you know, hatred and bad feelings and backstory that option? we don't even know about. But I think you can. Not as the number one option, though. As a number one option? Yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But you got to have a certain kind of team. You got to. Yes, you can. A certain kind. You know what you got to do? You got to go. Here, here's here's the scenario I got for y'all. And then we're gonna move on from Ben Simmons because I yes, want to hear please. what else you got. You got to treat Ben Simmons like he's a 19, like it's 1990s basketball, where he's your post guy. And like, you know, mm. post guys, they ain't shoot threes back in the 90s. They're like, go down low, go down low. You're too big to be out there in the perimeter, right? So you got to treat him like that. And then you put a bunch of shooters around him. And he's your post player slash point guard. You can win like, you can win like that. Yes, you can. Okay. Right. We'll you. see. Except uh, something else we moved problem. on. We like 2021. <laughs> It's yeah, 2021, not 1990. Yeah, and, and nobody right. nobody plays like that anymore. Anyway, yeah, what else? Right. Uh, so we had Peter King on, and he talked about the tremendous decision that Aaron Rodgers has to make at the end of this offseason. Uh, in the YouTube section, Europa said, if Aaron Rodgers went to the Browns next season, he would have a tremendous shot at winning another Super Bowl. Just imagine how lethal A-Rod would be with the offensive weapons hmm. with the Brown, that the Browns have. Here's my take on it. If Rodgers is in... Cleveland, that means Baker Mayfield's in Green Bay, which I really like. What type of Jared Goff, Matt Stafford, Freaky Friday trade can you see Aaron Rodgers getting flipped for next season? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. First of all, I do think that Aaron Rodgers in, like, if, if your team is competitive, like, there's no reason to believe that he couldn't pull a Tom, what Tom Brady did with Tampa, right? I mean, like, I'm not crazy to think, like, no matter where he ends up going, like, that team... Like uh, even Absolutely. I'm thinking like uh, like I was thinking about this with the Arizona Cardinals, obviously elite quarterback in Kyler Murray. But when J.J. Watt picked the Arizona Cardinals to go there, I was like, well, why did he pick them? That's not a playoff team. And boom, just like that. Look at now the Arizona Cardinals are like a playoff team. And that's J.J. Watt on the defensive side of the ball. Here we're talking Aaron Rodgers. So I got to yeah. I got to pull up the teams here and see what would be a good. You one know what? One. How about this? Hey, how about some guys, uh, fellas, who always get traded a lot? You know, like in basketball, there are certain guys who've been traded multiple times. What if you did something like this, Brandon? Okay. Even though Brian Flores keeps saying Tua Tungavailoa is our quarterback, Tua gets traded to Miami. I mean, I mean, Tua gets traded to Houston, okay. which puts Deshaun Watson in Miami. Then you either have Aaron, you have Aaron Rodgers being traded to Houston and Tua going to Green Bay. How about Aaron Rodgers as a Texan? Would he do it? Would he do it? I think, I, think, fit? I, don't, I don't think anyone, they're looking to compete for Jordan Love's. But I don't think they want to have him beat out. He's either got to sit again or start. We need a whiteboard. We need a whiteboard with all the different yeah. things that could happen here and linking and circling teams. I got one here. I got one here. What's that? Aaron Rodgers. Ooh, Raiders? Aaron Rodgers. Ooh. Nope goes to New England, and then they trade Mac Jones, the young gun, over to Green Bay. So Aaron Rodgers is the new Tom Brady and wins over New England. I don't know. I'd just be interesting to see. That'd be too much. That'd be too much. That would be too much. What else else are the people talking about out there? Okay, let's go back to Kyrie. You asked, will the Kyrie versus the vaccine be fixed before the Ben Simmons versus Sixers the last time we were on with Vinny? CT back says... Kyrie wants to be the man on a team capable of winning a championship. The problem is he was blocked by LeBron in Cleveland, depth in Boston, 
and Kevin Durant and James Harden in Brooklyn. If he gets traded, he would probably get traded to a team that will burst his championship bubble. I don't think Kyrie Irving cares about winning a championship at this point in his career. Am I wrong on that? It's, yeah, it's very hard. Ooh. It's very hard to, to always understand Ooh. what Kyrie Irving believes in or wants at this point. Wants, right, exactly. Yes, yes. No, no, no. I, no, I disagree with that. I disagree. I think he wants to... I think he wants to win. I want the. I think he wants to be in a specific city, New York. I think he wants to win a championship. Because if he if he didn't care about winning a championship, maybe he would have gone to the Knicks. I'm sorry, Ashley. I'm saying, but you know, he, he would have. He could have gone to. <laughs> uh, well, no, uh, I was thinking about something. No, you, I, you said I, a joke that, that that got me thinking about something. What did Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving have in common? Hmm. They won't take the shot. Oh gee, oh jeez. But um bum. Do we don't have oh, that sound effect? But um but um Gary, we need to get yeah, that sound yeah. effect for next time. I know, time. I think <laughs> no, look, y'all hey, I am all I'm all about uh you know calling it like it is with Kyrie, but I have, there's nothing I see that makes me think this guy doesn't win a win a champ doesn't want to win a championship. I think it's just the opposite. I think he's always wanted to win a championship so you can look at him and say, Uh huh. You know why you won that championship? Me. I got you there. And I think he's looking for that opportunity. Looking for that opportunity. All right, give me one more. We're running out of time. We're running out of time. That was all we had. That was it. Okay. That was hey, it. We had, we had, that we was had, it. That was the top three. All right, that's top three. That's good stuff. Hey, hey, Brandon, real quick. Um, are you interested? I want, I want to get uh, you and uh, Ahmed in on this. That bathroom, that Ben Simmons bathroom. Has oh, haunted me. Oh. I had a terrible night's sleep. <laughs> the graffiti bathroom. Yeah, did you keep that? Yeah, it's no. That would have that would have to go. Like it's one of those things where the it. first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I give someone credit for, for you know, thinking outside the box. So, you know, maybe it's an artist or something right. like that. And then you're right. You visualize yourself going to the bathroom in there once, maybe twice a day. No, you can't. You can't do that. It's like, a, it's like a highlight magazine wallpaper. And so, there's something to look at while you're sitting there, though. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of the, the positive side. Yeah, while you're sitting there. It's our house. It's yeah. our ho- I don't want you sitting there that long. <laughs> I want you to go. And get out of there. I don't want you to but get maybe you would. out of there. Get away get from the graffiti. Yeah. Fist bump. Right. Fist bump it. There it is. Look at that fist bump. Uh, that's, hey, good job, Ahmed. That's from that's doing beautiful. two shows together right there. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.